On the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to talk about benevolence. We're going to talk about benevolence, but especially with emphasis on what should the church be doing in the realm of benevolence. Uh, and, and we'll actually be trying to determine a distinction between what an individual Christian might do and what the church might do. All right. You'll want to be a part of this program. Don't go anywhere. We'll start right after this. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- Three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And this is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, August, October the 10th, 12th, 12th 2017. <laughs> It yeah. is October, and it is the 12th, 2017. Uh, thank you for being part of the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Great to be with you tonight, Jacob. And Monty's behind the controls. Monty, glad to have you back behind the wheel tonight. Thank you, Jacob. It's good to be here. All right. And uh, we're glad that you're listening, and we look forward to your comments. The program is always better if you'll comment, and you can do so one of three ways. Email questions at collegeu.com. Uh, send us an email there. Send us a message in the chat room. Or uh, give us a call at 877-381-4567. We've got to do a little advertising of our upcoming gospel meeting at College View. Yeah, getting Star- close. Starts a week from this Sunday. Not this Sunday, but a week later on the 22nd of October. We're going to have a gospel meeting. It'll start on Sunday and it'll run through the following Friday night, October 27th. Uh, the weeknight meetings will be at 7 o'clock. And we want to invite everybody who's anywhere close to the Middle Tennessee driving area, if you can... Come, we'd love to have you come. If you look at our homepage, collegeview.com, you'll see on there the speakers. We'll have a different speaker each day. And the, the titles of their sermons they're going to be preaching for us are also there. They look very interesting, and I think you'll be glad if you take the time and effort to come and join us. Again, starting the 22nd Sunday, running through Friday the 27th. Uh, please join us for our gospel meeting here at College View. Check it out on our webpage, uh, the question, or collegeview.com or the virtualbiblestudy.com. We'll get you to that link uh, where you can see that. And be making plans if you're anywhere in the Columbia, Tennessee area to come. All right. And you got bumper stickers We've still. we still got bumper stickers. We can get you a bumper sticker. Send us your snail mail. Monty, also, oh, go ahead. Monty, you took some bumper stickers on a long trip recently. Get any comments? Uh, I don't, not that I know of, but our bumper stickers went at least as far as Idaho. All right. From to Idaho and back from Tennessee. It's a long road trip, yeah. and so there was a lot of exposure, at least. A lot of exposure. Okay. I had two on the back of the camper and one on the back of the truck. So, so they had to I see spread it. it out. Who knows? Yeah. All yeah. right. All right. If you're listening to it and you've uh, seen a bumper sticker, that's how you found out about us. Why not send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. Tell us that, or maybe request your own bumper sticker. Yeah. Uh, and uh, while we're talking about things you can do, you can get on our email update list. We'll send you two emails a week, no more. Uh, on Tuesday, we'll send you our weekly bulletin in an email format. Uh, and then on Thursday, about midday on Thursday, we'll send you out an update about our program for that night. We'll tell you what our topic is going to be. We'll be giving you some questions to consider for discussion uh, on our program. So if you're not on our update list, get on the list by sending us an email to question.com. Remember, College View is spelled funny, C-O-L-L-E-G-E, College View, V-U-E, collegeview.com. And just even in the subject line, just say, add me to your list. All right. On to the topic tonight. All right. We want to talk about benevolence tonight. And, you know, there's been several uh, situations that have developed recently that have called on people to be considering the needs of others, several natural disasters which have caused some great devastation. A lot of people have been hurting and suffering. And, and so there's been uh, a number of public appeals put out for people to help. Uh, if you can supply help, if you can send some money, uh, and, and different agencies and organizations and a number of churches have gotten involved in trying to help people who have been flooded out by Hurricane Harvey, uh, maybe some who were devastated by Hurricanes Irma and Maria. Maria. And so there's just been a lot of, a, a lot of talk about that. 
So we thought it would be a worthy thing for us to talk about benevolence tonight, but especially the role that God has assigned for the church to do in the matter of benevolence. All right. So we sent out some questions to our update list, and the first of them was, what scriptural references would you use to show that God expects his people to be benevolently minded? I think the very first thing that we want to talk about is that there is no doubt, I mean absolutely no doubt whatsoever, it is not an arguable point, God wants Christians to care about the needs of other people. There's just no doubt about it. Lots of verses. One we'll look at later in the program, no doubt, uh, as you mentioned in your update list. Uh, Galatians 6, verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. A command that we should be doing good uh, to all men. And in, in, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus was sort of uh, projecting or or describing what the judgment scene will be like. Uh, Matthew twenty five thirty two. Before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say to them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom of heaven, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. So Jesus even suggests there that a a definite element of our judgment will be whether we have shown compassion for those in need. Absolutely. In John, third, uh, first John chapter three, verse 17, but whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? We could go on and on. Yeah. Actually, uh, there is a lot of information in, in God's word about the importance of caring for those who are in real need. And so, I wouldn't want anyone to take anything that we might say tonight because we're actually going to talk about here in a minute the idea that there are some limitations in regards to benevolence, especially in regards to what the church is to do benevolently. But we wouldn't want anything we will say in the course of the program tonight to be interpreted to mean think it's not important to be benevolent. That's right. It is very important to be benevolent and but but there but, but understand that there are there are limitations on, on us all. Uh, for instance, if, if if anybody would suggest there's no limitations at all, we ought to just give to those in need without without reservation. Uh, we might just suggest Second Thessalonians three ten. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Well, right there's a limitation on it. Here's here's a hungry guy. Should we be caring about hungry people? Yes. But if his hunger is the result of his own laziness, that passage says don't feed him. So they, right there, there's a clear limitation placed upon benevolence. And so we benevolence is not just an open-ended thing that we just throw money to everyone without consideration. That's That's never been the case. But before we make that point, we should stop to mention, though, that we all need to pause and make sure that we understand the importance and the uh, demand that God has made on us to be benevolent. Yeah. So, again, stressing, we don't want anybody to think that we're suggesting we should not be. We're saying we ought to be. And I actually think we ought to be more than we are. That's what I'm saying. We, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a very serious command that we need to be will, be sure that we're abiding by. Yeah. We, we I don't think we emphasize it enough. We don't talk about it enough. We don't do it enough. Okay. Uh, but we 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 want everyone to understand that though it is an important principle taught in the Word of God, it is not without uh, co- other consideration for the individual as well as the corporate uh, action in the, in the church. Exactly. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeu dot com. They're filing in the chat room a little late tonight. I hope that they've got their note from their doctor, but. Uh, we want your comments in the chat room as well, if you would uh, send those in uh, there as the top as the discussion goes along tonight. Uh, certainly, God expects His people to be benevolently minded, and to be benevolently minded, you know, this isn't the topic tonight, but we need to be looking for those opportunities. And and in the society we live in today, probably gonna have to look a little harder than they would have in other times. Well, I, I think you're probably right because our our in, in our blessed part of the world, there are a lot of 
uh, governmental uh, safety nets uh, so that uh, people in legitimate need have lots of avenues that, that they wouldn't have had in Bible times. In Bible times, there was no social network that would, would uh, provide assistance to people who were hungry or uh, needed housing or whatever. And the people were very much just directly dependent upon charitable giving, just people making handouts. I mean, we read in the Bible, for instance, uh, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were going to the temple. There was a guy who sat there at the gate of the temple. He was known. That was his setting place because that's how his life was sustained. As people came and went from the temple, he would beg for uh, some small gift of money just to sustain his life. And that that was very common in those times. Yeah. And uh, as you said, th- those kinds of situations, we don't, we don't face those. Not where we live. I'm sure that there are many places in the world where it probably still is the case. But where we live, that's not the case. Uh, and so uh, we need to be proactive in seeking out good opportunities to be benevolent because God expects us to be. 877-381-4567 is the number you can call tonight, the best way for your voice to be heard. Give us a call and let us know your thoughts. All right. So first point, and if you don't take anything else away from the the, the study tonight on the virtual Bible study, please take away that we agree it's extremely important to be benevolent. Yes. But now we also we want to talk about the fact that there is a difference. Question two we ask, is there a difference between what an individual might do and what the church is authorized to do? Now, that's a yes or no question, but it needs some explanation to the answer. We believe the answer to the question is yes, there is a difference between what an individual might do and what the church is authorized to do. Um, For instance, I think a really good place to illustrate this is in 1 Timothy chapter 5. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, Paul teaches... Uh, Honor the widows that are widows indeed. If any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and not and and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Uh, But then he goes on to describe a widow indeed, and and a widow indeed was one who met certain qualifications and didn't have any family to provide for. So Paul's instruction was, if if Family members have a, 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 a widow in need. They need to provide for them. He says, let them show piety at home. Uh, uh, I, I, that just seems logical, right? If you've got a needy family member, you provide. Why would you take care of your own mother? Uh, in fact, he says, um, verse 9, uh, excuse me, uh, verse 8, if any prone, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it logically makes sense that you take care of your needy family members. And, in fact, if you don't, you're sinning, and, and, and God will hold you accountable for it. But then he describes widows, indeed, who didn't have family to support them. Now, they, they had certain qualifications of age, uh, the, the kind of service that they'd provided in the past and all. We won't go into all that. But when you get down to verse 16, 1 Timothy 5, verse 16, if any man or woman that believeth have widows, so... Uh, I have I have a widow relative. Mm-hmm. Let them relieve them. So it's my duty to relieve them. Here I am, yep. an individual Christian, and I've got a, a, a relative who's a widow in need. I'm to relieve that widow. And let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. Now, right there in 1 Timothy 5.16, there's a clear distinction. Here's a command to me as an individual. Take care of my own widows. Yeah. And the church not be charged. I think it clearly shows a distinction between individual activity and what a corporate collective body of the church might do. Yep. Yep. Uh, so you're just establishing a principle. Yeah. Not, this isn't this, this, this isn't direct to our point of benevolence, but just to establish a principle. It is a, it is benevolence. Yeah. But it's it just establishes a principle. Some would say, well, anything the individual can do, the church can do. Well, no, they can't. And this proves the point that there are different parameters that each must operate within. Yeah, I don't know how many times uh, in discussions with people I've heard that statement, which is not a true statement, that anything an individual Christian can do, the church can do, which is just, I think, so obviously false on the very face of it. I, I can go out here by the roadside and set up a hot dog stand tomorrow and sell hot dogs for profit. 
You could try. I could try. I don't if, know if anybody buys. Yeah, it might not. But the church can't do that. Yeah. It's very clear. There's all kinds of things that the individual Christian is authorized to do that the church cannot do. It is not true. It is patently false that uh, the church can do whatever, whatever an individual Christian can do. It's just not true. Yeah. All right, and you've proven it there in First Timothy 5, verse 16. And so since we've established the fact that there are some different parameters, we need to look at what those parameters are, and we'll get into that yeah. on the other side of the Let me make one more argument. We've got just a minute. Let me make one more argument about the distinction between the individual and the church. And, and again, this one doesn't have anything at all to do about benevolence, but it shows there's individual action, there's action of the church. In Matthew 18, verse 15, if a brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So notice there's a progression of activity there. First of all, it's just one-on-one. Then you might take two or three with you to try and restore this sinning brother. But it would only be after those first two steps have been taken before the church as a, as a collective became involved in the process. And again, we would offer that case as an example of the fact there is definitely a difference between what an individual might do and what the church might do. Okay, well, then we want to look. Now, tonight's program is focusing on the church as a group. What are the uh, rules and instructions for the church when it comes to benevolence? Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Don't go anywhere. You might miss something. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the Virtual Bible Study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. Here's some quotes worth pondering. You can't give to others what you don't have yourself. Likewise, you can't lead others where you haven't been yourself. The best things in life are not things. People may doubt what you say, but they will believe what you do. Trust not the world. It never pays what it promises. By improving yourself, the world is made better. Man, wish I'd said that. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The virtual Bible study rolls along. And we're back on the program as we talk about benevolence tonight. And we're focusing on now the role of the church and uh, the rules for, for the church being engaged in benevolence. Well, again, just to stress before we move further, we are not denying the need for benevolence. And we're not denying that both the individual and the church have responsibilities in benevolence. They're not the same. We just established that you, that what the individual can and should do is not necessarily the same thing that the church can and should do. But both the individual and the church have benevolent responsibilities. We need to be proactive and working hard in that important realm. So don't, right. don't anybody deny that. All right. But the question is, what is the church's work in benevolence, and how is that work to be done? Uh and and we asked we asked the question question three does the New Testament authorize the church to be a general benevolent organization or was the benevolent work of the church limited to needy saints and we believe that the answer of that is that the the work of the church is limited to needy saints sometimes and I don't know I, I it, it maybe some have coined the term because it sounds harsh and maybe they wanted to make us look like we are mean spirit or something. But saints only, saints only benevolence. Well, 
when it comes from the church, we believe that the church is authorized only to relieve needy saints. And I think that's an important uh, thing to establish from the scripture. So I've actually got a list here, Jacob, of all of the New Testament passages where people were helped from the church treasury. Okay. And I'm going to go through it real quick. I'll do it as quick as I can. It won't take very long. But just let me read these passages. First from Acts, chapter 2, verse 44, beginning. All that believed had all things common. So they they shared benevolently all who believed. Chapter 4, verse 32, beginning. The multitude of them that believed had all things common. Chapter 6, verse 1, the number of the descendants, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Notice it was disciples. The disciples were having this issue about who would take care of, of the needy. Uh-huh. Uh, the disciples determined to send relief to the brethren. Right. Romans 15, verse 25, beginning, I go to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 4, that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 1, for as touching the ministering to the saints, it was superfluous for me to write to you. 2 Corinthians 9, 12, this service supplieth the want of the saints. 2 Corinthians 9, 13, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. And so, Every reference, we're going to talk about that last one, by the way, in more detail at the end of the program, 2 Corinthians 9.13. But we believe that every reference that describes the church being active in the realm of benevolence, it was the church taking care of needy saints. It's an exclusive pattern. We talked before on the Virtual Bible Study about Bible authority. We've talked about patterns, about exclusive patterns. And this is clearly an exclusive pattern in the New Testament. And it is important that we have Bible authority for all that we do. We use these same principles, uh, for instance, in determining how we should worship God with a cappella or voice uh, singing, no instruments, by basic by using the similar rules of Bible interpretation. And we have exclusive examples of only uh, singing, and so we conclude that that it, that it precludes anything else. We can make the same application here to our benevolence, and that uh, we only see examples of churches being benevolent to the saints in New Testament times. Yeah, we might ask the question, you know, on, on a couple of those instances uh, where Christians from other areas sent money to Jerusalem because there was a benevolent need there, and, and it was only being distributed among the saints or the Christians. Do you think the saints or the Christians were the only ones suffering hardship in in Jerusalem uh, at those given times? Not at all. No, there, there were undoubtedly lots of others who were in need, but the church directed its benevolence toward needy saints. It's just a clear pattern. Now, this, the, the Word of God does not go into detail to explain to us why God thus limited the church, but it's not too hard to understand that the church is not equipped to provide the general for the general benevolence of all men. We could we could consume and spend and and completely distribute all of the all of the wealth that Christians could accumulate. We could do it in just in a, in a blink of an eye, a flash, in a moment, and end in the problem of world poverty. The Lord did not equip the church for this job. He didn't give the church this job, and neither did he assign the church this job. Uh, we just need to understand the church was never given that authority to try to ad- to address the general benevolent needs of society. All right, uh, Jim references that Acts eleven twenty nine as you did disciples send relief unto the brethren con- concerning the collection for the saints. First Corinthians nine or sixteen verse one. The ministering to the saints, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 1. Yes, every place mentions that the collection is for the saints, Jim says. And again, that's an exclusive pattern. It is the only pattern we can have. It's the only reference that we have to churches being benevolent to anyone, and it was for the saints. Now, again, that it, when that we have an exclusive pattern like that, it binds. Uh, to go beyond that is to go without authority. You have to go on and say, well, you know, I think it would be a good thing for the church to do that. Or to me, it just seems ridiculous that the church couldn't help anyone well you're doing that without divine authority when you have an exclusive pattern there a pattern of that was limited 
If you say it should be a generic uh, benevolence, then you're doing that without God's authority. So let's stress again, as an individual Christian, I can and should help all men, anybody that has need, and I'm in a position, to, if they have a legitimate need, I'm in a position to be able to help address that need, then I have a responsibility to act. Now, if they have a need, but I have no ability, obviously I can't do anything. But if I have the ability and I'm confronted with a need, then God expects me to act upon that and be a benevolent individual. Yep. But the church has never been assigned a general role of benevolence, and we just need to accept that reality. For those following along at home, let's repeat those verses, and you can uh, maybe take notes, look them up in your spare time. Acts 2, 44 through 46, Acts 4, 35, Acts 6, verse 1, Acts 11, verse 29, Romans chapter 15, verses 25 and 26, Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, and 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. And Jim mentions one in, in the chat room that we probably should add to that list, 1 Corinthians 16, 1, the collection for the saints. Oh, good good one, Jim. Thank you for that. And Jim mentions the passage in Acts 11, mentions that it, there was famine throughout the world, Acts 11, verse 28. So that would have been the perfect opportunity for the church to have provided for non-saints. Exactly right. So there's a general famine. Uh, Let me read a little bit more of that passage in Acts 11. Uh, It says, verse 27, Acts 11, In those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch and stood up one Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. So there, this was a famine or dearth in all the world. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and so on. Well, the brethren in Judea weren't the only ones who were suffering from that worldwide famine. The church addressed the needs of saints exclusively. All right. I think it's great. I think Jim makes a great point, and uh, it, it just uh, is is a, a, a pattern established in the Word of God we've got to follow. Now, there's a couple of verses that have been sort of battlegrounds, because this is, this is a point that's been debated for decades. And uh, unfortunately, it has been a point of division among some churches of Christ. Uh, James 1, verse 27, Galatians 6, verse 10. And we want to talk about those couple verses uh, specifically. And what we want to show is that those are not addressed to the collective church, but to individual Christians. In the chat room, guest 4961 says, Can you discuss more about 2 Corinthians 9, verse 13, and Galatians chapter 6, verse 10? Are these directed at the individual? We want to, do, we want to cover them both. We'll do it. We'll and come a back little to sneak break. preview. One is and one isn't. Yeah. All right. We'll get to that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this. Wow. It isn't so hard to understand the Bible after all. There's more exciting study and discussion coming after these messages. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. Our bullet point this week comes from the pen of Steve Dewhurst. They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. These were the last words spoken by General John Sedgwick as he surveyed the enemy troops during the Battle of Spotsylvania Courthouse. In mid-word, a rebel bullet found its mark and so ended a great military career. The general's statue stands today near the parade grounds at West Point, an enduring testimonial to Confederate marksmanship. Stories like this should remind us just how silly and dangerous our words can be. Speech reveals what's in our heart. Sedgwick's comments evinced great confidence in the safety and security of his troops when in reality he was merely seconds from the grim reaper. Our own words are no less revealing. Whether statements are casual, careless, or deliberate, our choice of terms and voice inflection belie what might otherwise remain hidden. Consider some of our stupid words. Quote, to do my Bible lesson, unquote. In truth, we're too wedded to the world to divorce ourselves from carnal concerns long enough to cultivate spiritual growth. Or, quote, it's the church's job to teach my children the Bible, unquote. Then what, pray tell us, is your job, Dad? Quote, I don't know why the preacher can't quit on time, unquote. Perhaps it's because there's so much you need to hear. Or, quote, the Bible doesn't say I have to go to church on Sunday night, unquote. The Bible doesn't say you have to go to heaven either, but why would you want to miss it? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hey, Mommy. I'm too old. Um... This is the virtual Bible study. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. 
And we're back on the program. We're reminding this, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Come visit with us, especially look at our website there for that announcement for special services coming up uh, a week from Sunday. You'll want to catch that. And uh, send us an email anytime you have questions, questions at collegeview.com. All right. Let's deal with a, a couple of verses. Uh, by the way, we've got we've got a guest comment in the chat room. It says, only in the Church of Christ is giving to the poor out of the ministry funds called sin. Jesus did it in John thirteen twenty nine, but that's not good enough for some. Uh, let me look at John thirteen twenty nine. That that's news to me. If that came out of the church treasury, especially since the church hadn't even been established in John chapter thirteen. Uh, uh, John thirteen twenty nine. some of them thought because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said to him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast or that he should give. So here, here Judas was the, tr- was the keeper of the funds of, of this traveling company that was with Jesus, uh, the apostles and perhaps some others who traveled with them. That wasn't the church and whatever they were doing is not an indication uh, or whatever all, they misunderstood him to be saying yeah. is not uh, an indication. But you notice they would have they would have spent money out of that to observe to 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 buy funds to observe the Passover. Would they give the church authority to use funds to observe the Jewish Passover today? I mean, that's not the church. That's not the church in action. That doesn't that doesn't prove the point. And there's uh, a little bit of animosity, I think, in that statement, uh, but. That that was made, but again, we're just looking to examples we have, and we're not trying to make our own rules here, or we don't have some type of uh, hard feelings towards others that we wouldn't want to help them. We're just saying, what is the church authorized to do as a collective? And uh, that's what we're looking at tonight. Yeah, again, uh, I guess we just wear ourselves out saying we're not saying that Christians should be ignoring benevolent needs. We're not saying that at all. Nobody ever said that. Nobody ever taught that. We're just saying that the church in particular as a collective body has limitations on the work it can do. But as I tried to point out earlier, even individuals have limitations. If 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 I deem that this man's lazy and that's why he's in need, I'm not saying Thessalonians 3.10 says I'm not supposed to help him either. So we're just saying look to the total picture uh, and find out what's the individual to do, what's the church to do. That's what we're trying to do. Okay. Now, a couple of verses that have been real battlegrounds. Um, James 1, verse 27. Uh, and James 1, 27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their afflictions and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So that's the verse that pure and undefiled religion involves visiting, and the word visit there, if you study the word, means to provide help and assistance to the fatherless or orphans and widows in their affliction. But it is clearly, this whole context here is clearly a passage addressed to individual Christians, and I've done this in my notes. If you go back all the way to verse 22 and just highlight the reference to the individual and not to the collective, Verse 22, be doers, be ye doers of the word. The church can't, this is individual. Be you, you, you be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a, if any man be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he, being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain, pure religion and undefiled before the God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I mean, just... I don't know how you could read that and think that that's a passage that is that is directing or authorized a group of people to act. It's clearly addressed to the individual. All right, so that's clearly a passage directed to the individual, um, and uh, so that would not be the example we're looking for for the collective as a church uh, to be engaged in general benevolence. Again, we're looking at the examples we have in the New Testament, and we just have examples of the church uh, being involved in benevolence for the saints. We have a command 
Well, let's look at that other passage you referenced there, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, because that seems to be a lot more generic. Galatians 6.10, the verse says specifically, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to them who are of the household of faith. Oh, there you go. See, there's a, there, you see there clearly is a benevolence for the saints there, those who are of the household of faith. But that's placed alongside those the idea of doing good to all. So that would include those that aren't in the household of faith. Okay, so let's look at the context again, because that's how you determine who's being addressed in a given, in, in a given verse is to look at the context that surrounds it. So Galatians 6, go all the way back to verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself, alone and not in another for every man shall bear his own burden let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things be not deceived god is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not as we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to them who are of the household of faith. It's clear that the whole context there of Galatians chapter 6 was addressing individuals and their required activity. Now, it does, it does sort of evolve in the, in the grammar of it to speak of the, we. the, the, the uh, impersonal we. Yeah. Where it had been talked about he and a man and so forth. And, and then, but then it, 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 categorizes us all in in a in, in sort of the realm of humanity that but but think about that think about the previous verse let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not now would that verse apply to the collective so here's here's a local congregation of god's people and i'm a member of this local congregation uh but i've grown weary and I've quit working. I'm not working. The, the congregation is busy and working, but I'm not really involved in that at all. I've just laid down. But if the congregation as a whole is active and working, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Does anybody really believe that that suggests that just because I'm identified as a member of this congregation and the congregation is working, but I'm not, does anybody believe that that means I'll be rewarded on the basis of what the the rest of everybody did? Nobody believes that, right? Yeah. And so uh, if you can understand verse 9, to be using the impersonal plural pronouns us and we in verse 9, if you can understand that in verse 9, then you ought to be able to understand that in verse 10 too. It's the impersonal plural, but it's it's not talking about the collectivity. In a context that's obviously addressed to the individuals. Want to hear your thoughts? And again, the best way to have those thoughts heard is on the phone tonight at 877-381-4567. Monty has been quiet uh, behind the controls tonight, Monty. You know, as we think about this, we're talking about how the church can spend its money. the church's money per se, it's God's money. When we donate that money to the, and put it in the collection, it becomes God's money. And so we need His permission and authority. And his authorization in order to spend it. We can understand that in secular things. If I'm in charge of someone's finances, maybe I've got an aged relative and I'm the have a power of attorney for them. I still have accountability in that regard as to how I spend that money. I can't just frivolously spend it any way I want to. Right. It has to be in a direction that they would have approved of were they able to make those decisions. And so it's the same principle here. This is God's money. He's entrusted it to us. We're in control of it, so to speak, but we have to spend it in ways that he would allow us to do it. Okay. All right. Uh, that's along the lines of what Jim said. Only our, We can only do what our Lord and Savior authorizes us to do, and that's uh, what we've got to do. It's a question of authority. I mean, uh, it's not a question uh, of personal preference. It, it's or, not a, or hatred or meanness or bigotry or selfishness. And it's uh, not a question of what seems right to me or what I, you know, what I would do or what seems reasonable. 
You know, if we were writing the rules, we might have written them differently. But God wrote them that way. I actually think, as I said earlier, there's obvious wisdom in God's assigning the church a limited role in benevolence so that it can emphasize its more important work of evangelism. But because you can assign some wisdom to it doesn't mean that that doesn't determine anything. You might think you see wisdom in it, but that doesn't determine right or wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's go. We got one more passage here that it, I think probably has it makes a stronger case uh and has and, and I think deserves a more careful attention. I don't think James 127 Galatians 6:10 I don't think they even come close to suggesting that the church uh should um, as a collective body be using its funds to help non-Christians. I don't think those verses come even close. Guess 49.61 though pointed to the verse that you're headed to. 2 Corinthians 9.13 Now, sort of get the historical picture here. Paul had been on his last missionary journey and he'd been going among the churches that he helped to establish with his preaching work and they had been taking up collections. So it it was those congregations working as collectivities those individual congregations had taken up funds, and as Paul traveled among them on his way back to Jerusalem, he was picking up those funds that they had uh, contributed, and he was simply serving as a courier to take their funds to Jerusalem to give to the to the needy saints there. So that's the that's sort of the context in which this statement is made, and he says in Second Corinthians nine verse thirteen, he was actually in the in the mode of encouraging the Corinthian church to get involved in this in this effort. Mm-hmm. And he says, by the experiment of this ministration, that is, by you giving money to help the needy saints in Jerusalem, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. Now, some have, have latched on to that very last phrase. The contribution that Paul was taking up from these churches would be distributed to them, those needy Christians, and to men. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the argument. And that the all men there authorizes the church to use its funds to aid non-Christians. Um, if you're reading the King James as I am, you might make special note that the word men there has been supplied. It yep. wasn't in the text. And it, it actually talks about their liberal distribution unto them and unto all. Yeah, the men is commentary there by the translators. It, yeah, so what we think that means, and I, I'm going to proceed to try and prove this here in a minute, but what we these needy saints in, Jer, in Jerusalem would receive those funds. They would glorify God for the gift that was made to them and to all others like them, needy saints. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but that takes a little explanation. Let me start into that. So, as we said, th- this is this is actually a scenario that is commented upon in several places in Paul's writings, uh, and, and every place that that Paul describes the collecting of these funds to be carried to Jerusalem. Every time the instruction is given or a statement made about the raising of the funds, it was always for Christians. Notice 1 Corinthians 6, 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I gave order to the church of Galatia, it was so to you. So it was a collection for the saints. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. All of these pertain to the same situation. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Beseeching us with much entreaty in regard to this grace and the fellowship in the ministering to the saints. Paul was saying the Macedonian churches were begging to be allowed to be a part of this ministering to the saints. Were the funds being taken up for everybody? For the saints. 2 Corinthians 9, the start of the chapter. Now, we're, we're, we're going to get to verse 13, but at the start of the chapter, the context says, For us touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your readiness. And so the context, even in chapter 9, is of a ministering to the saints. In Romans 15:23, Paul's talking about the same collection and the same work. Uh, Romans 15:26, it has been uh, the good pleasure of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the for the poor among the saints that are in Jerusalem. So now think about that. Every place that Paul talked about collecting the funds, he said he was collecting the funds to carry to Jerusalem for distributing to the saints. If he distributed it to others. Then the money was collected on false premises. Yeah. All right. 
There's not a lot of accountability there if you give it to Paul and he can do whatever he wants to. Yeah, yeah. Now, consider the passage that talk about him sending or carrying this money, this fund. Romans 15, 25. uh, But now I say I go to Jerusalem ministering to the saints. Romans 15, 31. That my ministration which I have for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 3, Whomsoever ye shall approve, them will I send with letters to carry your bounty into Jerusalem. But recall that he said in verse 1, it was a contribution for the saints. Uh, and even there, as we said at the start of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it was a ministering to the saints. So, if Paul gave that money and it was used for others besides the saints, others besides needy Christians, then the money on false premises, and it was distributed in not in accordance with what the intention was when it was given to Paul. All right. Why don't we get uh, some more of this when we get back from the break with your comments, hopefully. Uh, we're going to go one more break, and then we'll go to the top of the hour. What do you think? Is that the correct interpretation of Second Corinthians 9, verse 13? Is the collection there, was it given to all or just to saints? Let us know your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Christians divorce at roughly the same rate as the world. This is an often quoted stat, but it has been proved to be inaccurate. People who seriously practice a traditional religious faith have a divorce rate markedly lower than the general population. The factor making the most difference is religious commitment and practice. W. Bradford Wilcox, a leading sociologist at the University of Virginia and director of the National Marriage Project, finds from his own analysis that, quote, active conservative Protestants, unquote, who regularly attend church are 35% less likely to divorce compared to those who have no affiliation. However, nominally attending conservative Protestants are 20% more likely to divorce compared to secular Americans. That information is via the Christian Coalition. The Word of God says in Malachi 2, beginning verse 15, Let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back going to the top of the hour as we talk about benevolence and what the Scriptures teach about how the church as a group should be engaged in that activity. Um, real quickly, let me... You know, the, the the argument is that we invented this argument uh, to explain away Second Corinthians nine thirteen, but that's actually not true. Let me give you a couple of quotes from some well-known commentators. Moses Lard wrote in eighteen sixty four. This is well before the controversy uh, arose between churches of Christ. Back in eighteen sixty four, Moses Lard said, "Let us now inquire what does the apostle mean." Speaking the same thing in the 13th verse as the previous verses, he styles it their contribution for them, the poor saints in Jerusalem, and for all other poor saints. So the them, for them and for all, would be of the same kind. Them, the needy saints in Jerusalem, and all others like them, needy saints in other places. Uh, Linsky says... Uh, secondly, the saints are seen as glorifying God also for the single-mindedness of your fellowship with them and with all, that is to say, all other saints. Okay. Uh, so these guys didn't necessarily have an axe to grind on They didn't have an axe to grind on that. Uh, and by the way, one more argument, and we've we got to hurry on past this verse, but one more argument. Notice that it's called a, a fellowship. That it was a dis, that King James uses the expression that it was a distribution, and other translations say it was a fellowship of the Christians with, well, if it, uh, the word in the King James, 
distribution is the word koinonia in the Greek. Yeah, that it, sounds it, familiar. It, it's a word that means fellowship. Yeah. So he speaks of their liberal fellowship with the needy saints in Jerusalem and with who else? With non-Christians? They have fellowship with non-Christians? No, they have fellowship with the needy saints go. in Jerusalem and all other needy saints. All right. So I think that's I think that answers the the, the argument about Second Corinthians nine thirteen. However, if I if I was going to try to make the case, I think that would be the place to try to make it. But it, I, I don't think it works. Okay. Uh, what do you think in the chat room? Send in your thoughts. Uh, Jim in the chat room mentions Galatians six deals with the responsibility of individual brethren one to another. We work to help restore the erring saint. Verse one. We work to help brethren who are dealing with heavy burdens and offer our personal help. Verse 2, we do not excuse ourselves from helping others. Verse 3, we each work to demonstrate our allegiance to the Lord. Verse 4, etc. The individual has work to do. So, uh, again, Jim is saying basically what we were saying, too. That whole context talks about what the individual does. Right. And, and then you get to verse 10, that's not any different. Yes. And then he says, one thing that is not often spoke about is that those who want to use the funds of the church often do so to relieve their own responsibility. If there's a need, we believe that the scriptures prohibit the church from providing that need. Why not as an individual just do what you can? Nothing prohibits a Christian from helping anyone that he or she desires to help. That's a great, great point. In other words, so here's here's a, a needy situation. And and the, and the sort of the false dilemma is yeah. posed. If we don't take money out of the church treasury, this need will never be met. Yeah. That's a false dilemma. Yeah. There are other means to address that You're need. You're just going to let that, that man die in the street, not going to give me food? No? no? Yeah. I've actually heard people say, if it was up to you... You, you'd let that fella die before you take one dime out of the church treasury, which suggests there are only two options. He starves to death or he's fed from the church treasury. Right. That's a, that's what you call logically a false dilemma. Yeah. That's not the only two options. Right. And I can I can take money from my own pocket, and I can and should help him so that he doesn't starve. All right. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Uh, still time for those tonight. All right. Now, another argument that is sometimes posed and we asked this in question five, or excuse me, uh, question six. Did Jesus and or his disciples use benevolence as a tool for evangelism? Uh, the, the argument is sometimes made if we feed their physical body, we'll have a chance to feed their spiritual mm-hmm. inner man with mm-hmm. the gospel. And that we could use benevolence. So here's, here's some people. They're not Christians, but they're needy people. And if we'll use the church funds to... Give them some food, give them some housing, give them some clothes. If we'll use the church's resources to help them physically, that will give us a, a, an opportunity to teach them spiritually. So we use benevolence as a tool for evangelism. Uh, what about that? Um, I would start the discussion on, on that point by simply saying there's no reference to anything like that in the New Testament. We never see that happening. You know, the gospel was going to all the known world. All through the book of Acts, the book of Acts is the spread of the gospel throughout the known world. You can't find a single example in the New Testament of where the, any local congregation used benevolence as an opportunity to open the door of Evangelism. They preached. They preached everywhere. They spread the gospel throughout the known world. They did not use the tool of benevolence to open those doors. You know, a lot of people would uh, set up some type of, some type of you know, envision Paul going to a town and setting up some kind of soup kitchen to get an audience or uh, something like that. Give away hot dogs or whatever they had back then. Uh, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Didn't happen. Uh, in fact, the, the apostles showed that there was a distinction between benevolence and evangelism. In Acts chapter 6, where there was a need among the saints, Acts chapter 6, verse 1, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitudes of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among ye, seven men of good report. Notice they said there's two there's two works here. One, it doesn't make sense for us to stop evangelizing to do what? Serve tables, do benevolence. Two distinct works. They weren't the same, and they weren't used interchangeably. Jesus certainly is the one who could have used this extensively, and he didn't. In uh, John chapter 6, after he had fed the 5,000, uh, the crowds came again. 
And he said in verse 26 of John chapter 6, Most assuredly I say to you, you do not seek me, or you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. Uh, Jesus, Jesus had the opportunity to he, use this. He did. By the way, he fed them. He fed them that first yeah. day. But, but he fed them after they'd been with him for a long time. With, and no food had been promised to them at all. Out of compassion, because they'd been with him a long time without anything to eat, he miraculously fed them. But they weren't drawn by the promise of food. They stayed just to hear him speak and to see his miracles. Out of compassion, he fed them. But the next day, when he determined that they were coming now for food rather than to hear the word, he refused to feed them. Yeah. That actually, I think, makes the argument that that, that food was not used it's as not a tool the, for it. It's not the drawing card. Yeah. Uh, all right. Monty, any thoughts on that? Well, you know, if you think about it, if we're one way of looking at it, if you say, well, we're going to feed them or offer them whatever worldly enticement to get to come, and then we'll present the gospel to them, what we're saying is we're going to bribe you. Yeah. And bribery is never thought of in a positive outlook. Well, it's like you've got some kind of damaged goods. The gospel, nobody would want that. But if I give them a hot dog, then they'd be excited about that. Yeah, I th- and I think that it does. We've always said you bring them with hot dogs, you'll have to keep them with hot dogs. But it denies the power of the gospel. Romans 1, verse 16, it says the gospel is the power of God. But w- That's people- exactly what Jesus said. Don't labor for the food which perishes. You ought to be more excited about the gospel. And it, it suggests the gospel's not strong enough to, to bring true truth seekers you're going to have to entice them or you use the word bribe them money i think that's right here's another argument if benevolence is merely a form of evangelism why are we forbidden to help a lazy man or a false teacher they would need they to both have, needed evangelizing really bad they need here's this lazy man he won't work he don't needs you imagine gospel. a hot dog get his attention yeah yeah but we can't give it to probably, listen they should talk to him all day with a hot dog shoveling the hot dog yeah he'll stay around yeah but, so if it's if it's just evangelism why can't we use that tool to reach the lazy man or the false teacher whom we're not supposed to bid godspeed not to invite him into our house or bid him godspeed no we're not we're not to to provide assistance to him well he needs evangelism why yeah. can't we use benevolence to reach him? Yeah. So uh, benevolence is, and here's yet another argument. Benevolence is is just not evangelism. You can engage in benevolence without doing any evangelism. The government does that. The government is a is a general welfare uh, society, but they don't teach any doctrine. The Red Cross. Uh, is a benevolent organization. They do benevolence, but they don't do any evangelism. Benevolence and evangelism are two distinctly different things. They are not the same. All right. Uh, so I, I just think that that argument fails. Uh, and and can't. But but I I, I hear people. I, I read something just recently from a fellow who typically I agree with. But but he actually used that expression. Everybody knows that benevolence is a tool of evangelism. Well, this somebody doesn't know that, and I don't think it's borne out in the scriptures at all. All right. All right, back to our previous topic. Guest 4961 says, I understand the explanation for 2 Corinthians 9, uh, verse 13, but I have a question. Using that explanation assumes the Holy Spirit was all-inclusive in saying the collection for the saints. Is it logical to say that 2 Corinthians 9, verse 13 opens up the possibility to say the funds were primarily for the saints and then all men secondarily? Uh, well, I understand the question, I think, but I, my answer to that would be I, I don't think so. In fact, I'm confident that it's not so based upon the all, all that we read about how Paul described that effort why he was gathering why he was gathering the money how he gathered the money for what purpose the churches were giving that money he never ever said to all those churches who were giving funds i'm going to take it jerusalem and and we'll help mostly we'll help the saints but we may help some others too he never said that and so if 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 he raised the funds on one premise but distributed them on a different basis uh i think that would be uh, disingenuous, not ethical. Uh, it, 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 so I, I think we have to interpret Second Corinthians nine thirteen in light of everything we know, and we know a lot. Know about how and why those funds were collected. And we've got to be careful about trying to read between the lines. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter ten verse seventeen. We've got to have faith for everything that we do, and I can't have faith 
just by supposing that uh, there's somewhere in between the, the lines there was some indication that they were collecting these funds for non-Christians and that they were yeah. giving them out. Yeah. Uh, I can't have faith with that uh, supposition. All right, we're out okay. of time. All right, we didn't get to your last question. We didn't get to the last question. We'll try to deal with that sometime in the future. We, we, we had a question about a discernible pattern that the church uses in its benevolence, but we didn't get to that. Uh, how uh, how church is sent for benevolent work, we may do that at a future time. 4961, if you have further questions, or if anyone has further questions or would like to continue the discussion via email, questions at collegeu.com is the way you get in touch with us. So we'd love to hear from you. love to talk with you some more about this. Uh, and... Uh, well, we can take it up again at another time if yeah, there's a need. Yeah, Monty, thanks for being here and for your help. Thank you, Jacob. Dad, thank you for the good discussion. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for joining us. Again, if you've got questions, if you've got comments, if you've got suggestions for future editions of the Virtual Bible Study, questions at collegeview.com. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.